Well, John chapter 16 is where we're going to be, and we have just been so encouraged by the words of Jesus over the last couple of months as he's shared with his disciples uh, just, uh, just countless words that would bring comfort to them in the midst of something that would be just over their head in comprehension. To know that the one that they had worshipped, to know that the one that they had followed for three and a half years was about to go to the cross and be crucified, uh, Christ knew it was going to be incredibly challenging for them to, for their faith to endure, for them to be faithful, and so he gives us great hope in the midst of this passage. All the way from John 13, where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and demonstrated his great love, to John 14, where it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You see, his whole purpose was to prepare them for what was coming. Well, listen, in our passage today, we see also that God says that though you sorrow, there will be joy. Though there's difficulties now, there will be something to rejoice over later. Though it seems like you're in over your head at the moment, just trust me and wait on me in the midst of this. Well, this week I read a a story about a a little uh, boy in a school district, and he was in a large school district, and there was a teacher there that had just been assigned to go and to check on this little boy. He had uh, been in a serious burn, and as a result of the burn, he was left in ICU. And matter of fact, those in, in ICU didn't have much hope that he would survive, and so the teacher was assigned to go to the, go to the hospital and spend some time with him every day to study nouns, adverbs, and pronouns, and help him to understand all of these different things about the English language language. Well, I can tell you something I wouldn't want to do if I was recovering from a burn. But listen, she said, well, I'd be grateful to go help him understand. I don't want him to fall too far behind. So she went to the hospital and she went to see the boy that afternoon. And, and she mentioned, he mentioned, uh, no one mentioned to her how severely burned the little boy was. She didn't know how much pain he was in. She didn't know what he was going through, but she went into the room. And as soon as she went in the, in the room, she kind of just, her breath kind of caught in her mouth. Uh, you know how it gets and she was just a little surprised, and she said, Well, I'm here, I'm sent by your school to help you study nouns and adverbs so you don't get too far behind. And when she left that day, she felt like she didn't accomplish much, and she'd spent a little bit of time with him, but she was just, in, oh, she felt like she was in over her head. But the next day, she came back as her duty demanded, and the nurse, when she's walking down the hall, the nurse grabbed her and said, Ma'am, she said, What did you say to that little boy? She said, What are you talking about? She said, All I did was just, I just tried to introduce some nouns and adverbs and stuff. She says, no, 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 you don't understand. When you left yesterday, he was a different boy. She said, when you left, she said, said, he was worried before, but now he's at peace. And since yesterday, his attitude is different. When he's fighting back, he's responding to the medicine. He said, it's like he's decided all of a sudden he wants to live. Well, a couple of weeks later, the little boy explained what had happened in that moment. You see, he'd pretty much given up hope. And when that teacher arrived, everything changed because he said, and his, his, and his thoughts were, they wouldn't send a teacher to work with me on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy. <laughs> See, there was a little bit of hope in the midst of that. You know, sometimes we go through an ordeal and we think, Lord, if there was just a little bit of ray of sunshine, you know, oftentimes we say, well, there's always a silver lining in every cloud, right? And we said, man, Lord, if, there's, if we could just see the other side, that little ray of light, silver on the other side of this cloud, I know things would be all right. But listen, most people can endure a trial if they can see an end to it. And man, if you've got to go through cancer, then you, you know that if there's an end to it at some point, you know that, man, I can, I can go through this. You see, the lack of hope is the ultimate agony in suffering. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 reiterates this thought. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
He says, I, I, man, it just, he just grieves so much in Job in the midst of his trials. He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. In verse 15, he says, so that, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. He couldn't see the end of his trials. And so in 1910, he said, he hath destroyed me on every side and I am gone and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. This is the words of a man who saw no silver lining at the end of his cloud. He didn't see an end to this, and so his heart and his life was in turmoil. As the proverb says, his, his hope was deferred. It wasn't there, and his heart was sick. And maybe you've been there. Maybe there's times where you just feel like, man, there's no end to this suffering. There's no end to this relational conflict. There's no end to this financial uh, hole I'm in. And let me just remind you that there is hope today in Jesus Christ. And that's what today's all about. As Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, listen, don't feel like you're all alone in this. Don't feel like there's no hope in the midst of this because though it's going to seem like suffering is here, it is not the end of your life. And so during a time of great personal turmoil, the psalmist even wrote uh, these words. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You see, because he is the God of all comfort, God comforts his people in all of our affliction. And so if you're in a time of affliction, and if you're in a time of soul torment today, let me just remind you to come back to the Lord. Hope thou in God this morning. He's the source of our comfort. He's the source of our hope. He's like that teacher that comes to your, into, to your, uh, your bedside there. When you think all hope is gone, he breathes life once again into your situation. The proverb says in Proverbs 23, 18, For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. You see, such promises like these ultimately point us to heaven. This life may be full of trials, and truly, we recognize that God didn't offer us as believers that things are going to be all sunshine and roses, right? There's going to be some difficulties. There are going to be some hardships. There's going to be some times where it just seems like I'm in over my head, but this is what He promised. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. He didn't say, you're not ever going to go through the valley. What He did say was He's going to walk with you through the valley. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, these are the words of our Savior today. And, and as we come to the Word of God, my prayer, my hope, is that though you may be in sorrow, you might find joy in the midst of the sorrow. You might find He is still the God of all hope today. Despite the many sufferings that the Apostle Paul endured, he also expressed his hopeful perspective with the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our light affliction. We've, I've shared this verse multiple times, but his affliction from our perspective was not light, but from a heavenly perspective it was nothing. It says, Which is but for a moment, worketh for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He said, These things I've gone through, the shipwreck, the beatings, the, the, the in terrible trials I've been through, even the thing that he prayed for thrice, that, that, uh, uh, that thorn in the flesh, he says, all of these things are nothing. They, they, they don't feel like they're any kind of a hardship to carry because I know that at the end I have something much greater than all these will be forgotten. Remember Revelation 21? It says there's going to be no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. There's no more, going to be no more sickness. And we look forward to that day. And we say, Lord, we're, we're excited about that moment. 
But in the moments when we're going through an ordeal, when we're going through a trial, when we're going through something that just weighs so heavy on our spirit, it can oftentimes feel overwhelming. During the 70-year Babylonian captivity, God reminded the people of Israel that their ordeal would one day come to an end. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He also added later in Jeremiah 31, 17, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. He, he reminded the children of Israel in the midst of their captivity, Listen, don't give up hope in the midst of all of this. He says, I am the God of hope. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And I remind you that this morning, as we, we look in the Word and we see the words of Christ today speaking to his disciples in the midst of a difficult situation, I, I, my prayer is that God breathes hope and life into your life and heart once again. You see, during his incarnation, Jesus Christ modeled God's compassion for hurting people. You know, we're not the only generation to go through difficulties. There have been other generations that have gone through things much more serious and much more sorrowful than what we've endured. And, and Matthew 15, 32, it says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And we know the next part of this, as we see him feed the multitudes out of just a small little lunch. See, he was moved with compassion at, at this moment, but he was moved with compassion at the sight of two blind men who were in the midst of hopelessness. Mark 1.41 records that Jesus again was moved with compassion when he healed a leper. Later in Mark's gospel, Jesus saw a large crowd and felt compassion on them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. Then when a widow lost her only son, we saw his compassion again as he reached out and he touched the bier, that thing that was carrying that body, and he told that young man who was dead to arise and be made whole. You see, Christ over and over and over again demonstrates his great compassion. And probably no other place in Scripture reminds me of the Lord's compassion like John 11. You see, it was at John 11 that we find Jesus there at the tomb of Lazarus. And there as he's consoling Mary and Martha, he reminds them, Listen, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he reminds them that he is the one that offers life again. And then he, we see his great compassion with two simple words in the English translation. Jesus wept. That was it. And these two powerful words revealed the great compassion of our God and Savior Jesus Christ for all of man. You see, God loves us. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, he didn't just see us in our plight and say, well, they did it to themselves. It's their own fault. I washed my hands of this like Pilate. Instead, he said, listen, I know what they've done, but I love them in spite of it. And he demonstrates his great compassion to us. And so as John 14, 1 says, let not your heart be troubled today. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, knowing that he would soon face the disciples 
and, and what the disciples would soon face and what, what all was about to happen. You know, the reality was the disciples should have been praying for Jesus, but Jesus in His love and compassion as our God was really concerned about the disciples. And even in this moment, He's concerned about us. He's concerned about that father that's going astray from his family. He's concerned about that teenager that says, listen, I, I, I want the things of this world instead of the things of God. You know, He's concerned about those families that are breaking and, and that are going through hardship. He's concerned about your plight in your life today. And we see His compassion uh, just in action here as we look at John chapter 16. You see, the disciples, they should have been the one praying for Jesus, but instead Christ was praying for them. We'll see that in John 17, this great prayer, this Lord's prayer, as He pours out His compassion on them in prayer. The disciples, they should have not been full of grief. They should have been full of joy because Christ had been teaching them, though I will die, yet I will be raised again. The Bible says in Matthew 17, 22 and 23, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed in the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. Man, that's a joyful thing. Man, to be able to say, listen, Jesus, the one who will be betrayed, the one who will die on the cross will rise again. And on this side of Calvary, we look at that and we say, God, to God be the glory. He is alive. He's risen. And, and that His resurrection, His victory over death brings us hope today. But it says, and they were exceeding sorry. You see, they focused on that separation and that death. They focused on their problems. They focused on their plight instead of focusing on the Savior. You see, the real solution in all that we go through today is not the problem, the focus is the Savior. That's where the change happens. While on the road to Jerusalem, he told his disciples in Mark 10, 33 and 34, over and again, he told them that he would die. But they didn't, they didn't care. But I love the fact that he said he would die, but I would be resurrected. Man, Maybe today you're focusing on the sorrow. May we turn our heart this morning to the hope of Christ. Let's look at verse 16 together, shall we? John 16 and verse number 16, and we'll read through verse 24 today in this passage. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father, they, therefore, uh, they said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew what they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembered no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask, in, in the, ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Let's stop there and let's pray as we uh, just ask the Lord the blessing on his re the reading of the word. 
Father, again, we come to you this morning. And Lord, what a joyful time to be reminded in Christ alone is where our hope is found. Lord, to be reminded that it's at the cross that we could find the hope for the morrow. And that, Lord, you would just, you are the one that has made us sons and daughters of the King. What a joy it is to journey with Jesus. And so help us today. Lord, as we have read your word, may you bless it in our hearts and may it not return void. But may you, Lord, speak that uh, to each of our hearts and our lives. May you remove those distractions and those things that want to draw us away from you and help us, Lord, to hear from heaven. Lord, if your people, which are called by your name, will humble themselves, and so let us do that. Humble ourselves before you and hear from heaven that, Lord, we might see you do a great and mighty work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Though they had repeated predictions of both his death and his resurrection, the disciples were not ready at the moment of Christ's passion, uh, the, 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 the time that Christ died, that, that it actually came. And when all of this happened, it was, it was very shocking to them. And so as that evening drew to a close, we see Jesus once again speak those words of comfort to the disciples. And he reassured them that their sorrow uh, would also end in joy. And as we come to this passage, there's a couple of things that we're going to find here that we can also relate in our own life. That listen, though there are times of sorrow, there is joy in Jesus. And I just want to remind you that the God is omnipotent. He knows all things. And that's what he lays out very first here in verse number 16 as we see the Lord's prediction here. And because Christ says, listen, there's going to be some sorrow. There's going to be a time of death. You're not going to see me and then you're going to see me. And he says, listen, but this sorrow will be turned into joy. So as the disciples gathered, they could sense that things were coming to a head very quickly. You ever, ever notice that in some things? You can you, you just sense that things, there's a, a wind of change sometimes, or there's a, a conflict that's arising. And while they despaired over this death of Jesus Christ that was coming, we see Jesus wants to breathe in them a ray of hope and speak into their lives that they might, uh, through their sorrow, find joy in God's plan in redemption. You see, because there couldn't be no redemption without the cross. Sometimes there is no hope unless we have to go through first that time of sorrow. And so Christ laid out a prediction that by his sorrow and, and by his death, they would once again have joy, and that would not be a temporary joy, but a permanent joy, something that would last. And, and as we saw this play out, we see that Jesus Christ would, would soon die just in a few hours from this moment, and then he would be, uh, at that time, they, there would be some despair there. But they would see Jesus once he was resurrected, and then Jesus Christ would ascend up into the Father. And let me just tell you, there will be a day when we see Jesus once again face to face. There will be a day when all of us get to stand before him, and like Thomas of old, see those prints in his hands, and see the, 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 the scar in his side from where they thrust him through. And let me just say that that's going to be a glorious day. As that old song says, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face what will it be? In a newer song that was written just a few years ago, as, we, as uh, uh, Bart Miller wrote, I can only imagine, what will it be like? Will I stand in His presence or to my knees will I fall? You see, the reality is we can't fathom what it will be like to be in the very presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I enjoy being in the presence of Brother Greg. He's a friend of mine. We enjoy being together. Uh, we, we cut up. He runs way faster and way farther than I do. Uh, amen. But... You know, His presence is nothing compared to what will it be like to be in the presence of Jesus. 
You see, because it's not going to just be a humanly presence, we will see Him in all of His glory. Just like Peter and James and John saw there at the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus Christ in His glory, and they were amazed and even dumbfounded now, at what they saw there. Isaiah 2, in Isaiah chapter 6, he, as He was caught up into heaven through that vision, He saw the Lord, and He said, The glory of the Lord filled the temple, and He was so amazed. He said, Woe is me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, as he, he saw all of these things, he was convicted that God uh, that, uh, of his sin in God's presence. But he saw the glory of God in a tremendous way. I remember oftentimes as we go to a graveside, and this week has been a, a week of, of, of sorrow for many of our church family. And oftentimes as we go to the graveside and we see the sorrow of, of believers there, and we know that that person that's laying in the casket was a believer. Though there are tears that are shed, there's also hope. Hope that, listen, this is not goodbye for us. I remember when Kristen and I left Texas to come to Missouri 21 years ago uh, last month, and, and as we drove here, my mom and dad were in the travel trailer behind us, and they had all our junk in that travel trailer as they, as they came up here with us. And I had her little car behind us, her little Geo Metro pulling behind my little pickup. And we're coming to Texas, and that little car is just coming up here. And it was hard to say goodbye to family and friends there in Texas. And, and then we got here, and we had to move our stuff up to that third floor apartment all the way at the end at BBC. And, and as we're moving all of our stuff into this apartment, and literally we wrote, I wrote on the boxes, John's stuff, Kristen's stuff. It was a great moving experience. Try unpacking when everything just says stuff. And so we get everything into this apartment. My dad and I would get it all into the uh, put, put away and packed up. And, and I see mom and dad parting that morning. And I remember tears coming down my mom's face. I remember tears. I looked at my wife and I'm crying like a big baby because I'm a mama's boy. You know, there was sorrow there. But it wasn't as if we was never going to see her again. There was a sorrow mixed with hope. You see, for the believer, it's the same way. We come to the graveside, and there is sorrow there, and it's, it's good to grieve for our loved ones, but there's a hope that's mixed in, too. There's a hope that this is not goodbye. There's a hope that this is not, hey, I'll never see you again because I know that they're waiting there for me in glory. And when I get to heaven, boy, I'll be able to walk through those gates, and I'll see my Savior, and I'll see my loved ones all over again. I tell you, there's hope there. And in the same way, Jesus Christ was encouraging the disciples that day. He says, a little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. He says, listen, when we're all caught up together to be the, with the Lord in the air, he says, we're all going to be together. This is not a permanent goodbye. This is not a permanent time to sorrow. But instead, it's a sorrow mixed with hope. My dear church family, as we go through sorrow and loss, and, and our church has been deeply touched by sorrow this year. We've said goodbye to many of our loved ones and many of you for mothers and brothers and family. I tell you, our heart grieves, but there is hope. There is hope in the midst of all of this. And I remind you at Psalms 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is, what's that word? Nigh. He's near unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. 
You see, the Lord comes near in our suffering. The Lord comes near in our sorrow. And when Jesus accomplished the finished work of redemption and He ascended back to heaven, Jesus sent them, even His Holy Spirit, to also continue His ministry in their lives. And as Jesus spoke to them, He says, Listen, don't give up hope in the midst of this. I'm leaving even a a part of my presence with you. You see, Jesus spoke to them in this moment. He says, listen, don't give up hope. Though, in his prediction, though there's going to be sorrow, there's also comfort in the midst of this. But let's look together at this next verses 17 through 19 as we see their perplexity. The disciples had been listening to them all this while, and really, you could almost sense that they were trying hard to follow him, and they were depressed by his repeated insistence that he was about to go away, that he was going to die. And no doubt that more than once they had felt that they were in over their heads and everything they were trying to say and by Christ's instruction. But now, as Jesus is teaching them, he says, A little while I'll be with you, and a little while you shall, and you shall not see me, and a little while you shall see me. And you could almost sense their perplexity as he comes to verse 17. Then said some of his disciples among themselves. You know what that means? They're sitting there whispering to each other, what's he talking about? That's literally, some of you are saying the same thing when I preach, amen. But he's he's whispering to them, and he said, what in the world is he talking about in the midst of this? And and so, and and, and then you see them repeat this, and then Jesus, don't you love that our Savior is omnipotent? Uh, he's, not, he, he's not lost in the midst of this. And when he looks at us, he knows what's going on in our heart. In verse number 19, he says, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And did you love that? It just shows the omnipotence of our Savior today. He's not a man who became a God. He is eternally God. And he, and he is one with the Father. And we see in verse number 19, he says, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. And so he he knew their perplexity. He knew what was going on. And you can kind of sense that through this, that that sometimes there are times where we can feel the same way. I remind you a a little bit about our God today. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. Talking about the Lord, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we say, well, I want to be able to package God up in this nice little box and understand everything there is to know about Him. Well, listen, I don't want to be able to serve a God that's that small. I want to serve a God who is not in any box, who's greater than my imagination, as Ephesians 3.20 says. He says he's, he's, He can do far more than even my imagination, what I can, my thoughts or my, uh, my uh, imaginations can come up with. That's our God. And as we study our universe and as we study even the molecules in the human body, we can see that our God is a God that is without limits today. And men have given, I love the fact that men have given their lives to plowing through Scripture and, and studying day and day. And, and at the end of their studies, and, and you can ask some of the more uh, aged scholars in our uh, congregation today, you can ask them, have you understood everything there is to know about the Bible? Have you understood everything there is to know about God? And they will very simply tell you, I know less about Him now than when I started. You see, because our God is limitless. And this is important in the midst of trials because Satan gets you to think, listen, if God really loved you, he'd help you, but he just can't. You see, Jesus, this is something that's so unique about the Lord. The Word of God, we can spend a lifetime studying to learn, to know, and we could still not know the depths of who God is. And yet it's so simple 
that a child could understand, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I love that about the Lord, that we can spend so much time learning and studying and, and trying to gather the truths of the centuries, and yet at the same time, we can, we can know something so simple that God loves me, and He demonstrated with Jesus Christ. You know, I, I enjoy reading different novels and uh, different things, but you know, eventually a novel ceases to be novel, doesn't it? But I've been studying the Word of God for, uh, for most of my life, and as I, as I look now, I, I, and I look to the Scriptures, and, I've not, and if you look in my Bible, you'll find notes, and you'll find sticky notes, and you'll find different highlightings, and you'll find that I'm still studying, still want to be a student of the Word of God. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Give yourself to know the one who authored the Word. You see... The, the disciples were still in their spiritual infancy. They needed the milk, but Christ was giving them some meat. And, and as we see this, we see Christ was just trying to pour into them in these moments. And, and we see that Christ continues to share with them. In verse number 12 in this passage, He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. He says, listen, I know there's more things to teach you. And as we said last time, that's where the Holy Spirit came in to teach them later what they would need to have. They would be the, the, uh, the human authors of the divine scripture. And so we see that Christ helps them in the midst of their perplexity. But let's look how he helps them, verse number 20 through 22. We see this illustrative parable that he gives them. In verse 20, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And so he talks to them a little bit about what they're going to experience, and then he illustrates it in verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. Let me ask those of you ladies who have uh, bared children, was labor fun? No, I was there with my wife on all four of ours when they were born. And I remember, I, I just particularly with Josiah, I was a little bit nervous. Uh, things happened so quickly, it made me nervous. And I remember praying, dear Lord, watch over my wife. I just was, I was scared, quite honestly. We got to the doctor, I got into the hospital, and they rushed her right into the, uh, whatever that delivery room is. And, and they rushed us right back there, and, and, and things were just happening so fast. I, I remember being scared. But the moment that God brought that child into the world, you know what there was? There was joy. There was, there was a sense of just overwhelming peace. There was a sense that, man, everything's right in the world again. And I remember when Asa was born and I held this kid who's now over six foot tall or thereabouts, and, and I held this little bitty baby in my arms and, and a smile from one ear to the other ear, and I was so joyful and so excited. And my wife, I think she even started talking about the next one. Listen, there's no right sane person in the world that goes through the worst pain in their life and at the other end says, hey, can't wait to have another one. I mean, that's, there's nothing right about that, I'm thinking mentally. But this is what I know. You see, that sorrow was turned into joy. And this is what Jesus says. You're going to go through the worst sorrow, the worst agony you've ever been through and you can ever imagine. But I'm telling you, it's going to take, go from sorrow and it's going to be something that's so joyful you're going to forget the sorrow. 
That's the same thing. And that's the parable that he was given here. I remember that Jesus, that when Jesus was on the cross, that even the Jewish leaders mocked him. They said in Matthew 27 and verse 42, he said, the others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him down, uh, come down from the cross and we will believe him. Listen, but more than coming down from a cross, he did a far greater miracle because three days later, up from the grave, he arose. I tell you, it wasn't just popping his hands off of a couple of nails. It was resurrecting a body that was dead. And, 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 and we saw him come out of that grave club. It was a physical, literal, bodily resurrection. It was not some sort of a spiritual thing. It was a literal, physical resurrection. And I'm telling you, as, as we see that played out in Scripture, and we see that played out, we, it brings great hope to us today. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15, and you can study and see that it was Jesus' death that brings us victory today. It was His, uh, uh, his death that brought victory over the grave. And so that when we come to the graveside, and when we're in the midst of sorrow, it's not a time of loss, but a time of joy, a time of jubilation, because that person is now with the Lord. You see, just as the world's joy would turn to dismay, he said the followers of Christ would have the opposite reaction when they saw Jesus Christ. When Thomas felt the hand, felt that, we saw, just in that moment, we saw Thomas's sorrow turn to joy. You see, where there were dark shadows from the cross, we saw a brilliant light in the resurrection. The book of Bible says in Galatians 6, 14, it says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, the cross is foundational to all Christian joy because it's the basis of our redemption. What once was a place of shame, what once was a place of agony, what once was a place of defeat has now been a symbol of our, uh, of our hope. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, And he said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be unto thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. We see this curse from Genesis 3 uh, on the, 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 the birthing process, but we saw that even in that there is joy. And in the same way, Christ brings joy in the midst of our sorrow. One last thing I want to share with you, the promise in verses 23 and 24. Verse 22, it says, and you, now, and you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. That's what he reminds them. I will see you. It's not over. This is not the end. Have joy in your heart today. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. For the last three and a half years, the disciples had been asking one question after another question. Many, many questions to Jesus Christ. Most of them that were betraying their lack of spiritual comprehension. They couldn't grasp the meaning of Christ's words. And, and a lot of the reason was because they were experiencing things without the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and before the cross uh, and not after the cross. So they didn't understand how God was going to work all of this out in His perfect plan. But following the cross, following the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would come to permanently indwell the believer, their sorrow would be turned to joy. They'd no longer need to ask questions to Christ because their perplexity would be made, made plain. 
But also, we saw previously, last week, that that spirit of truth would come, in verse 13, and He would guide them into truth. And so Christ offered them a reminder of the promise that He had made two other times, here in verse number 23. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it you. Now, oftentimes we think, well, if I pray in Jesus' name, then, you know, that just, it's like a magic potion, hocus pocus, and everything will happen that I've asked. Asking shall receive, seeking shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. As a matter of fact, in John 14, verse 13, it says, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. In John 15, 16, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, to ordain you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And it says, That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And so we see here that Jesus makes this emphasis, and oftentimes when you hear believers even pray today, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And we think, well, it's just a spiritual ritual that we go through. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about this a little bit more in depth, but let me just mention as a reminder here today that this is not a religious formula to get us whatever we want, but instead, it's a reminder that God has called us to align our will with His will. Say, God, I, it's not what I want. Remember the, the, uh, the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. As Jesus said, uh, Father, thy will, uh, thy will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. That part of the prayer is, Lord, I died to my self-will and I live to Jesus' will. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, hosting uh, revival services. And in those revival services, and th- there's nothing magical about revival services. Well, what happens, uh, well, the, the miracle that happens is when we say, Lord, no longer am I living to my will. Lord, now I'm going to live for your will. Lord, I want to empty myself of me, Lord, and I want all of you. You see, that's when revival can take place. This was something new to the disciples. They'd grown up under a system that had prayed to Jehovah, God the Father. They'd walked with Jesus, and when they simply needed something, they just asked Him directly. Now as Christ departs, He says, listen, you're not going to pray to me. He says, that's not, that's not what's going to do. You're going to pray in my name. But listen, we're going to see God answer your prayers. And we did, and if you go to the book of Acts, you will see God do incredible things. When Peter was locked up in prison, the church prayed, and the Lord sent an angel, and Peter was released. And the church, even in their unbelief, didn't even know that it was Peter at the gate when he was knocking. It's a tremendous thing. But let me just encourage you, never give up. Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Jesus reminded them, men are always to pray and not to faint. You see, the source of our hope, the source of our strength, the source of what we need in the midst of sorrow is the Lord Jesus Christ. James DeLoach, who was the associate pastor of Second Baptist Church in Houston, tells of a piece of art that he saw that really stirred some, uh, in him some hope. And he said this, Some time ago I saw a picture of an old burned-out mountain shack. And all that remained was the old stone chimney. The charred debris of what had been the family's only possession was there in the, in the background. There in the foreground was an old grandfather looking upon what remained of the, of the shack. And he was pretty much in his night clothes. And then there was a little boy clutching a pair of patched overalls. And it was evident that the, by the picture that the child was crying. And beneath the picture were the words which the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. They were very simple words, but it's something that presents a profound theology and philosophy of life. It was simply, hush, child, God ain't dead. You see, the the picture is for us today the same. 
You may be looking at the burned out shack of life and you may think, man, all is lost and there's nothing here for me. There's no hope. And let me just remind you, hush child, God ain't dead. He's still alive today. There's no reason to despair. There's no reason to give up hope. And because as long as God lives, hope remains alive. You see, the reality is Satan knows that if he can cause you to give in to fear and he can remove your hope, that you will give in and you'll follow him. But God says, listen, I'm the source of your hope. Circumstances may seem hopeless, but with God, there is no hopeless circumstances. You see, today, as we come to this place in Scripture, the disciples are about to face something that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. But Christ reminded them, listen, you're not going to go through it alone. I don't pretend to know the hearts and situation of every person here, but God does. And maybe he's spoken to your heart this morning. And let me just remind you, he's not, he's not an enigma. He desires to walk with you through these challenges today. But you first must put your faith in Christ. Because hope begins at the cross. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, your situation is hopeless. If you've never said, God, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior, then what is ahead for you is a very hopeless eternity in a place called hell. And the reality is God didn't design that for you. He doesn't want you to go there. But because of your sin and my sin, we are destined there. But Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. He came to this earth and he died in my place. He literally took upon him my sin and he laid on the cross to die for me. Well, he did the same for you. And then he does this. He says it's a gift and he offers it freely for you and me today. And he says, listen, you can have hope in your life when you accept the gift of eternal life.